I'm Seattle Times political reporter Jim Bruner. And I'm Seattle Times City Hall reporter Dan Beekman. Let's talk politics. Welcome to episode 103 of The Overcast, the Seattle Times politics and news podcast. This week, I'm going to talk to Jim about his big trip to Iowa earlier this week to follow Jay Inslee, Governor Jay Inslee, as he begins his campaign for president of the United States of America. Jim, what was Iowa like? Well, it was snowy and there were a lot of potholes on the highways. Sounds like here. I saw <laughs> return to snow. No, I'm telling you, the Iowa highways around Des Moines, you would be shocked. Maybe it's the snow. I don't know. We could do a whole podcast on it, but we won't. <laughs> right. I don't know whether it would be more or less interesting, but let's go. So, <laughs> All right. So so the background here is that, uh, take us back, Jay Inslee last week announced actually, you know, after hinting and kind of running and all that stuff, he announced actually last week that he was running for president. Yeah, he announced in Seattle at a, at a, no surprise, at a solar company, keeping with his theme that he would be the only candidate to run on making fighting climate change the number one priority uh, of the, U, the U.S. government. And you're right, after hinting for a long time, we've been writing about stories. It's kind of hard to believe. We haven't had somebody run from Washington State for this for 40 years, but he finally made the announcement and then he hit the road. He went to New York City first, did a bunch of media interviews, was on Rachel Maddow, among others. Had a pretty good uh, launch, I think. He got he got quite a bit of attention. I think that having that focused message has has made it a pretty easy storyline for him to get that kind of attention. And it's an important subject, of course, as he would be the first to tell you. Yeah, he has some pieces in on him in national publications. I think I saw the New Yorker and but other places as well. Like you said, he was on the cable TV shows in New York right off the bat, right? Yeah, he, he's definitely done as many of those as he could in, in, in the run-up to his official announcement, like you said, after lots of hinting. One, I think it was the New Yorker article where they described him not quite ready to say he was running, but strongly hinting at it and raising his eyebrows as he said he, may, he might be in Iowa soon. <laughs> so it was kind of absurd, really, but yeah. that the reason that they were being careful is they're actually... Once you say the words, you know, there are certain FEC requirements and things like that that kick in. Sure, campaign finance requirements. And when he was on those shows like Rachel Maddow, for example, what was his sort of demeanor? Uh, did he seem comfortable? I mean, he's been doing those shows for a while now, but, you know, how did he play? Well, he got a really, really kind introduction from the Maddow show, kind of tracing his career and pointing out, you know, accurately that he's... He's not new to this climate change movement to, to sound the warning about climate change, or as he's been saying repeatedly, blow the bugle. You know, he referred repeatedly to the book that he wrote back in the 2000s. So pretty friendly reception there. No surprise to anybody who's been listening to him talk, really, he's sounding the same message, saying that this has to be a number one priority, saying that, for example, this is a real national emergency, as opposed to what he says is Trump's fake national emergency at the border. So he, you know, again, no big surprise to those of us who have been listening to him for some time, but clearly an effort to get his name out there because the polls still show, you know, as he launches this effort that he's at like 0% or 1% support nationally. Right. But nationally isn't necessarily what matters right now or what matters first. It's Iowa uh, because they're first. And so that's why he headed there. And what did he do in Iowa? Well, it wasn't like the classic, uh, you know, mid-campaign swing that you might think about at the Iowa State Fair, for example. It's still, you know, we're a year off 
basically. And so it was a very short, controlled tour for one day. There weren't big crowds or anything. He's not doing rallies. Some other candidates, you know, his, his visit was sandwiched by all kinds of other candidates being there. I mean, I talked to some reporters there who ran down the list, and it was basically almost everybody who's running has been there recently or will be soon. I think uh, Elizabeth Warren was there just before him. Even the same day that he was there, Steve Bullock, who's the uh, governor of Montana, is considering running. Oh, he yeah? was there. I didn't even <laughs> so, heard of that. Yeah, yeah, right. So he may not be even alone in being the f- only governor running. John Hickenlooper, in fact, actually just announced uh, last week to the governor or just ex-governor of Colorado. Right. So anyway, these these events, you know, he just did he did three stops. He his first stop was in Cedar Rapids at a at a solar company. It was actually a pretty large electrical contractor and part of their business in, is installation of solar panels. So Inslee got kind of a tour. There was quite a bit of media there. You know, went up on the roof. Um, he was kind of posing among all these solar panels that are covered partly covered in snow, but <laughs> the owner said still work. You know, even in those conditions. And they'll sort of provide power to the actual warehouse of the business, and they also install those around the state. And so what's the, for his campaign, what's the main point of going to a stop like that? Is it mostly so that the Iowa media will come out and take pictures and, and do video and, and write about that visit and sort of introduce him to Iowa voters? Or is it for a national audience more? Or like you were the only local reporter along, right? Or, you know, from our local area. Yeah, this time, I mean, a few weeks ago, even before he was running, he went to New Hampshire, kind of signaling that he was about to run. On that trip, I went, and so did Austin Jenkins of Public Radio. But yeah, I was the only one on this. I mean, I think it was pretty short planning for a bunch of people to go. I mean, obviously, we don't have as many reporters around anymore, unfortunately, in this area. I think if it had happened 10, 15 years ago or something, we would have had a maybe a local pack. Of course, there's still time. I think people will start if he keeps on with this, accompanying him. But the question on what was the point? I mean, I think it's all about name recognition right now. Introducing himself, you know, to a national Democratic primary audience, as well as in Iowa. And the Iowa media did come out and cover him. He got stories in most of the local newspapers and their websites. Um, the state AP reporter from, from Iowa, who's been assigned to Iowa, was out there. There were also some national. There was uh, CNN had a crew out there. His second event of the day was actually in Ames, Iowa at Iowa State University, where he kind of talked to a bunch of students about climate change and took questions. And there, there was a crew from the uh, Showtime show, The Circus, doing doing a uh, doing some video. And and I I guess a Washington Post reporter was out there too. So he's getting some national attention, and I think it's all about bumping up his name familiarity so that he can get up in the polls enough to qualify for the first debate, which are coming up in June. And were there any moments during that this quick Iowa trip that you know weren't scripted? It sounds like the um, you know the visit to the solar panel you know installation was was sort of you know planned ahead of time. But did he put himself in any situations where where people were just you know Iowans were asking him about stuff and he was sort of responding on the fly? Well, at the first event, he took questions from the media, and you know he was asked. There there was a bit of news before he started this a super PAC has started up called Act Now on Climate, based in Washington, D.C., partly run by the former political director of the Democratic Governors Association, which Inslee, of course, chaired last year. So it's kind of a connected group. By law, they can't coordinate with the Inslee campaign, but it was interesting because they had a camera crew out there filming him. I, they introduced themselves. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
not coordination. Mm-hmm. You know, they are actually allowed to do that. Sort of a public slash media event so they can go. Um, I think it raises eyebrows anytime you, you see that. But, you know, he's playing by the rules that were established. But he was asked by, I think, the AP reporter there. I was going to ask the question, but she, she got to it. You know, do, do you accept the support of this super PAC when a lot of people in the Democratic Party have a problem with big money in politics? And candidates like Elizabeth Warren have said, we should disavow super PAC support. Jainsley said, no, I'm not going to disavow anybody who's concerned in fighting climate change. And then, you know, at the Ames event, it wasn't a broad cross-section of the general public in Those Iowa. students, I think I saw. Students and some climate activists. They weren't all students in that room. There was about three dozen. It's not a big crowd or anything. But they did ask questions that I think were, you know, they weren't scripted. Um, one exchange that I thought was interesting that I put in my article, uh, one student asked, are you going to tell people what kind of sacrifices we're going to have to make if we're going to tackle climate change in a, in a quick time frame, as, as he's discussed? And Jay Inslee, this is what he does. He does not want to discuss the downsides. You know, he's an optimistic guy and he's framing the upside, saying that it's not a sacrifice if it's to save, you know, humanity. So he kind of he kind of brushes that off. Um, He does talk about the threat of climate change and how, how great it might be to have all these new clean energy jobs and to power our economy without all these noxious emissions. But one of the students I talked to afterwards said, you know, she would have liked to have seen him actually acknowledge that, you know, there will be some sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, his line usually right is that, um, well, the real sacrifice will be if we don't do anything. And that's what you have to be thinking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. He talks about the forest fires we had last year, or the smoke that drifted down and you couldn't go outside. The kids couldn't go outside and play in Seattle, the worst air quality in the world, fish dying off in the rivers, sort of a precursor of even worse effects that could come. I think I saw somewhere, uh, I don't know if it was him in a story or, or one of his political people, you know, on social media or something, but talking about, like, we believe that climate change can be a heartland message, you know, sort of linking that into the trip to Iowa. Do we think that that's true? Well, he, that, he said that during the uh, Q&A with the students. Uh, I can't remember which question it was exactly, but he said, this is a, this is a heartland message that can win in the Midwest and in places where Democrats have struggled. And he's framing it again as a jobs, you know, a job growth message, not so much as a scolding, um, you have to get out of your cars and stop driving message. How much of a problem do you think it, it's going to be for him as this sort of rolls on? And we can talk about how long it might roll on or not. But as it rolls on, how much of a problem is it going to be for him that he hasn't been able to get really big time climate change legislation here in Washington, where he's been governor? Well, I think that that's a fair question. And lots of people have already noted that, that on the biggest climate change, you know, legislation that he's proposed, you know, things that he spent a lot of time talking about over the last several years. And we're talking about putting a price on carbon, basically, whether that's through a carbon tax or a fee or a cap and trade system, he's not been able to get that through the legislature. I think people will, you know, examine that record. He is, is banking a lot on his sort of revised plan now, which is now that he has really pretty sizable Democratic majorities in the legislature, he has a suite of legislation that includes putting the state, you know, utilities on a path to clean energy by, I think it's 2045. And so I I think that most of that legislation looks like it probably will pass in the next month or two. And so he'll have something to point at then. Right. And hope that that seems significant enough, you know, try to get some good headlines that he can point to out of that. 
Yeah, and there's some wrinkles. I mean, we had a story in the in the newspaper and online today about the carbon fee issue returning again. A legislative committee passed out a, a carbon fee that would help sort of pay for, it would be a mix of green programs, but also highway expansion. It's sort of another, like a, like a gas tax roads package. I'm not really sure where he is on that. It doesn't sound like that's the kind of thing that can pass in one legislative session. The story notes these things usually take a few years, but it'll be interesting to see if he embraces that or if he plays much of a role in it at all, given that he's going to be, you know, campaigning half the time. Yeah. So what, like, what does it take to, you know, you mentioned that his polling is so low you know he's not one of the big names at this point what does it take to you know raise your profile is it about like just pounding the pavement on the campaign trail and and sort of grinding out uh, trying to grind out uh, news stories and earn media is it about money or is it about like having one sort of quirky moment that grabs everybody's attention and like launches you into the debate even when it's not the biggest deal in the world well, yeah, it could be a combination of many of those. I mean, he, I don't think he's had his moment yet. He likes, you know, it was interesting. I, now, now that he's running, I mean, it's been kind of obvious for a while, even though people have been skeptical whether he would, you know, A, have a shot. They should, we should still be very, very skeptical of that. But um, he's, when you look back on some of the moments that he's had over the past year or so that he refers back to, it's very clear that he's been planning this for a long time. And right, can, some of the shots he took at Trump uh, exact, when he was back, exactly. back yeah. in D.C. and yeah. he he, brought, he brings up how he was there at, at the I think it was a National Governors Association meeting at the White House, and there was a Q and A period, and he got up and he said this was after the, I think the Parkland shooting. Yeah, they're all just standing there too. It wasn't like a yeah. Well, was there? Yeah, they were sitting there, and there was a chance to ask questions, yeah. and he got up and he basically went after Trump because Trump was proposing arming school teachers as a response. Right. And he said, the line was, you know, I think you should consider a little less tweeting and a little more listening. And it kind of blew up on social media. He's pointing back to that and saying, look, I know how to stand up to bullies and to Donald Trump. And, you know, even at the time when it happened, <laughs> I think we were thinking, well, how much time did he and his advisors think of, you know, plan thinking up that zinger? And, uh, you know, and then a few months ago, he was in, California, and he visited the site of the Paradise Fires and took a video there. That imagery has kind of made it its way into his campaign. So he's been planning this for a while, and I and I think that you know he he is trying to both through earned media's we call earned media. It's like you know <laughs> TV and newspaper interviews and things like that buff up his profile. And I think I mentioned, but you know, there's a super PAC now that said it's raised a million dollars. His campaign says it's raised a million dollars already. And so they're going to spend some of that money early trying to get people to know who the heck Jay Inslee is. One of the sort of ways that a candidate can have a moment that raises their profile is in like a town hall on TV or a debate or opportunities coming up, uh, you know, on that front at all. I don't think that's really been announced. His first task is to try to get into this early debates. Um, and, you know, he needs to rise up to like 1% in certain polls at least. And he has to get a certain number of donations. And I think his campaign's still working on that. CNN has basically been doing town halls with all of the Democratic primary candidates. I mean, this weekend, I think they are having three at South by Southwest with uh, Peter Buttigieg and the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. And John Delaney, the former Maryland Congress congressman, and, and one other person, some of the lower tier candidates. So I think if they follow through, Jamesley will get a town hall too. And do you know much about where he plans to go next, or what he plans to do next on the campaign side? 
Well, he's going to go to Nevada and California next. Um, that's, that's what he's announced so far. I haven't seen a lot of details of those plans yet. I mean, he's just coming back from Iowa. He's going to be here for a little bit, and then he's going to hit the road again kind of on the weekend and, and go there. And I think in California, he may visit another fire site, again, to, to drive home his message of this is what's coming if we don't pay attention to this dire national threat. What do you know about the sort of inner workings of his campaign? Who's pulling the strings and doing the strategy there? And does that tell us anything about his chances or how this might go? Well, I mean, it's notable that his his circle is basically people who have been around, mostly people who have been around him before. It's not, he's not bringing in huge national names, you know, like some of the other campaigns. He's not one of the most sought after, you know, candidates at this point. But it's a lot of people who believe in his message of climate change. It's a lot of people who have been loyal to him for a long time. Um, his campaign manager, Ashlyn Cairns, has been around for a while in Washington state politics, work, worked on his campaigns. Jamal Rad, his spokesman, has been his you know spokesman for a long time. He brought in Jared Leopold from the Democratic Governors Association, who he'd worked with closely over the last year. So it's people like that who you know have known him and think that he is maybe somebody who shouldn't be underestimated, and that's kind of the circle that's around him right now. Yeah, and talking about the underestimation, I mean, like you said, you know, it seems like you know his 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 profile is very low at this point. His chances are are slim, but if there are reasons not to underestimate him, you know, looking back at his career, what does his, his political career sort of tell us about, you know, how he is at running campaigns? Well, I think he's a pretty good retail campaigner. You know, when he ran against, first of all, when he decided to run for governor, I think it was notable that, you know, he wasn't known as the, you know, maybe the top legislator in our delegation, for example. The sharpest policy. Not necessarily. I mean, he had his and... issues that he cares about and he works on. I think he sort of channels the values of Democrat, the Democratic Party pretty well. But he put his stamp down on that race early. And he traveled around the state, and everybody knew Jay Inslee is going to run for governor. And so he didn't even really have a primary. And some people, as, as that race, race approached in 2012 against uh, Rob McKenna, who was the Republican attorney general at the time, they were, they were sort of whispering, you know, are we, is this really the best thing? You know, can Jay Inslee really win? You know, what about other people, <clears throat> including, you know, Dow Constantine, the King County executive? So, but he put his stamp on it. And so he's shown that he can sort of, uh, when he sets his mind on something, he's going to, he's going to pursue it and he's going to go after it. He's similarly, obviously been planning this candidacy, you know, for a long time. But I don't, I don't think it's wrong to be highly skeptical of his chances at all. I mean, everybody can look at the polls. People will say the polls are meaningless right now, but I don't think they're completely meaningless in terms of name ID, for example. And, you know, if he doesn't make the first debate, that's, you know, a pretty failed campaign. And he might just quit right then. I mean, I, I don't know, but I mean, I think that they're planning on making the first debate. So, yeah, yeah, well, we'll see. But, you know, and some of the other people who were wanting to run for governor I've spoken to in the last week or so, and they basically said, these are people, you know, Bob Ferguson, Dow Constantine, Hillary France, they're willing to give him time, but he's not ruling out running for a third term. But some of them said, when I asked, well, what's the time period? They, they're not going to put a hard deadline on it. But I think Bob Ferguson said, you know, a few months is an eternity in politics. And so I think they might get kind of antsy. Yeah, they would like to know sooner rather yeah. than later. If he's not showing momentum, yeah. there will be pressure on him to pick one race or the other for sure. Again, this is probably getting way too ahead of things. But, you know, one of the interesting things to think about is, you know, he seems completely wedded to the you know, the issue of climate change as his campaign issue and his and and his 
big issue and the reason he's running and the reason he should be president of the United States. But for a lot of Democrats, what what this next election is going to be about 2020 is who can beat Donald Trump and get Donald Trump out of the White House. So his, he has instantly been asked that. I mean, you mentioned him saying, oh, I can stand up to bullies like Donald Trump. But in terms of sort of the actual political you know, calculus, you know, the the can he beat Donald Trump calculus? Does that come up at all? A little bit. I mean, I don't I think it's like getting away ahead of the game at this point, because first he's got to even get to one percent, you know, and then see if he can compete in the Democratic primaries. And then <laughs> but it has come yes. up, you know, somebody I think I mentioned in the article I wrote that from Iowa that he was asked or maybe this didn't make it in, but that here's an extra. So he was asked, <laughs> I think, um, by one guy in that room in, at the Iowa State University, what are you going to do if Donald Trump starts calling you names and picking on you? And if Inslee answered honestly, he'd probably say, well, that'd be great because then like, I have attention. But what he said was, well, I think he is going to be calling me something. He's going to be calling me president. And it, you know, it was kind of a joke, but he, he clearly would like the chance to stand up to Donald Trump and to kind of throw back and forth with him. And, and again, as I think I mentioned earlier, his argument is that his pro-growth sort of clean energy message is one that can win in some of these states that Democrats didn't do so well in, in 2016. You know, one more um, sort of potential weakness that I saw, at least, you know, sort of Seattle progressives talking about recently was this idea that, you know, he, he's out there on the campaign trail in other states saying, I'm the governor of Washington, the state, you know, that has actually had success you know, uh, uh, bringing along, you know, high, doing high tech and, and having a successful economy, but at the same time, you know, bringing along the middle class and, and that sort of thing. And, and we're an economy that works for our, the people of our state. On the other hand, Washington has the most aggressive tax system uh, in, in the country that's really, really hard on people with uh, modest and low incomes. So what about that? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he I noticed when he was out there um, on the campaign trail, he's talked about how Washington is a success story. And certainly it's, I think, fair. I mean, all politicians do this, even though they they don't really run the economies. If your state has a great economy and a low unemployment rate, you at least didn't screw it up. And, you know, he can argue that along, you know, along with that. And he has brought up that we've passed policies like uh, higher minimum wages and paid family leave. And, and so it's the best of both worlds is what he's saying. But, but you know, he, he's, he's also talked about Washington growing as a middle-out economy, which is a term of art that, you know, Nick Hanauer, the local progressive, uh, not quite billionaire, but very rich man, has thrown about and written books on, and it's become a catchphrase in the Democratic Party. But we, what you just said argues against that. You know, I mean, there, we've done some things, the state has done some things to try to help people on the lower end, but the tax code is still really regressive. All right, and ju- just before we end here, let's get into some of the sort of a little bit more insidery, but but interesting aspects of of a presidential run for our governor. So, U.S. Jay Inslee about his security detail recently. What's up with that? Yeah, we reported on you know when he goes on these trips, and we get this questions. I don't think it's insidery. It's like a lot of what the public wants to know is who's paying for this. You know, when he goes on these trips, and the campaign, his political campaign, pays for his travel and his aides travel. Um, of course, he still receives his salary as the governor for $177,000. But the taxpayers definitely do bear part of the cost on travel when it comes to the state patrol security detail that accompanies him. It's usually two or three state troopers are going with him on trips, whether they're official or, uh, in this case, political. And so I asked him, now that his campaign has has bragged about raising a million dollars, would he consider reimbursing 
the taxpayers of the state for that cost. And he said, no, state law requires, you know, that these the security is provided for governors wherever they go, no matter who the governor is, and he's not going to propose a change in that policy. And, uh, you know, it's not cheap to fly multiple state troopers around the country, you know, from New York to Iowa to Nevada to California. Yeah, we, I mean, we wrote even last year before we ran, I mean, the, the records, we've been getting records on this, and the, you know, they kind of lag in getting the records, but even before he ran, the uh, State Patrol Executive Protection Unit, which this is the security detail, had sort of busted through their budget. We wrote about how they have asked for a $1.3 million budget increase in the current budget. I think it's the two-year budget to hire an additional trooper and to, in anticipation that they'll be traveling with them a lot. And Republicans, of course, have said, shouldn't do this and written a letter saying you should pay it back. Haven't really seen a hue and cry from any Democratic legislators yet. I imagine, frankly, if it were a Republican governor, they would be calling for that. Okay. And so what about for you too? I mean, now you're the jet setting reporter going all around the country. Uh, you know, that's, it's exciting. It's fun, but also it can be tiring to be out there on the road. Are you looking forward to doing more of this? Do you think you'll do more? Well, I think it's, it's been interesting. I mean, it's kind of hectic. I don't have a state patrol unit to drive me around. So, I mean, sometimes we have a photographer who goes too, which is great. And, you know, when Austin Jenkins, the public radio reporter went along, you know, we kind of helped each other out, but it is kind of hectic. You know, you go to Iowa, you get in on a late flight, you know, there's some kind of weird animal screeching outside the hotel all night. I still don't know what that was. (laughs) Get up, drive to Cedar Rapids from Des Moines, you know, do this event, tweet some, don't really have time to sit down and write, then have to drive you know, to uh, Ames, Iowa, which is a couple hours away. Did you like take muffins from the the, uh, continental (laughs) breakfast and like stuff them in your briefcase for later? I I should do that though. I'm trying to learn, trying to stay hydrated. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this has, again, has happened in 40 years. It's interesting. We'll see how long it goes. And I'm sure I'll be going on some of these other trips and maybe other reporters will go on some of these other trips. I hope, I hope more of our state media is able to to go along too, and we, we could tag team or something because whatever, how, whether he does well or poorly, I think it's newsworthy. We should cover it. It's, it's definitely a significant message that he's bringing out there. We shouldn't get entirely, you know, into just a uh, political insider, you know, whether he has a chance or not, you know, evaluating his message and his record on this climate change issue is important. Right, and obviously what happens with his run uh, has implications for who will be our next governor in Washington. So thanks for talking about it with me today, and we'll talk about it again soon, I'm sure. Thanks. That's all for episode 103 of The Overcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to me for being our guest. Thanks to KNKX for having us in the studio again to record. You can reach us on Twitter at dbeekman at jim underscore bruner. Send us an email at seattletimesovercast at gmail.com. You can get the show anywhere you download podcasts. And until next time, have a cloudy day. Mm